Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. All right, welcome back to the Play Golf in College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. And this week, Coach Mack and I are going to be talking about the five most common recruiting mistakes that we see junior golfers and their parents make uh, on a regular basis. And very quickly, to list those, they are, one, making an inappropriate list of schools, Two, having poor written and verbal communication. Three, poor content that is being sent to coaches. Four, a failure to maximize scholarship dollars. And five, poor decision-making, not finding enough information out on the players of the coach so you ultimately make a, a decision that leads you to a school that's not the best fit for you. So that's kind of a quick summary of the five most common recruiting mistakes that we see. But before we get into these things in depth, Coach, I think people should – uh, hear a little bit about our background just so they know that we know what we're talking about. So very quickly, Coach Mack and I have both played in college. We both coached in college. We have mentored junior golfers and their families through this process. We've put over 115, 20 players uh, into college now. And my two boys both played college golf and are now uh, – just finishing up. So we've seen it literally from every single angle as player, coach, mentor, um, and parent. So we're well-versed to advise people on this. Anything you got to add there, Coach Mack? Uh, the only thing I'm going to add is when I look at these five most common recruiting mistakes, uh, I did every single one of them as well when I was going through the recruiting process. So not oh, only have we seen it through every angle, I've lived it and have done these mistakes. So you and I are here to make sure that the players we work with are not making these mistakes and we're giving them the best opportunity of being successful throughout the recruiting process and ultimately find the best fit in the school for them. Yes, sir. Okay, coach, why don't you lead us off and talk about why you think people make, you know, when they're doing this on their own, why do you think they come up with an inappropriate list of schools? Great question. And we we're talking about this first, and I think that – when you and I are working with players, this is something that we see right off the bat. And I think it's one of the most common mistakes that we do see. And like you said, so what are the reasons for this? And I think first and foremost, players think that they have an ability level that is greater than what they truly are, or they're better than who they or they're better than what they really are. And they try to equate scores that they're shooting right now to scores that they see college players shooting or that they've seen. Uh, maybe they're looking through a uh, school's website. They take a look at their schedule. They see the scores that they were shooting and like, man, 72, 73, 74, somewhere in there. I just shot 72 at my event this past week. And the issue comes is that these scores do not equate. And um, the courses that they're playing in college are just far more challenging, pin placements more challenging, weather oftentimes is even more challenging. Distance is obviously a huge role in this. Um, I remember playing a, playing a course in college that was 74, 7,500 yards, and we look at these yardages that the junior golfers are playing, and it might be a 1,000 yards shorter. 
And that makes a huge difference when you're trying to equate scores. And uh, if our listeners listened to the, the previous podcast we had up from Pat Goss, and I, I urge you to listen to it, uh, one thing that was really interesting was when he's looking at uh, his prospects, uh, he would always compare that prospect and try to visualize what they would shoot at Purdue's camping course and Ohio State's Scarlet course. Uh, and both of those courses are obviously you've been there, you've coached there, you were at Ohio State. Uh, I've played in both of those tournaments as well. Those are difficult Midwest golf courses. And they're competed in the spring. You've got some weather issues going on. And there is no way that these junior golfers are able to equate their score, what they're shooting, to those kind of courses. Just very different. Really good point, Coach. So just to reiterate that, because I, I think it's really important for people to understand, if a college coach, when a college coach is putting on a tournament, they are always, at any level, they're always trying to find the best course possible. So you're always going to play college tournaments on a course that is tough. The coach is going to want to set it up as tough as possible generally. So you've got tucked pins, fast greens, tend to be firm greens. Like you said, the weather during the fall and spring when we play college golf tends to be worse than in the summer when a lot of juniors are playing. So a 74 at a Golf Week Junior Tour event at 6,500 yards in no way, shape, or form is similar to a 74 at Scarlet from the back tees, that's four or five shots harder, easy. So that's one thing. The other thing is everybody loves and everybody thinks that they can play at the highest level. Well, if Johnny Junior Golf is shooting 76 and he's a junior high school, he is not going to play in a top 50 program in Division One golf. Just not going to happen. So I think it's those two elements. One, they think they're better than they are. They don't equate the difficulty of the courses they're playing in junior golf for the most part with what they're going to see in college golf. Um, and then just, you know, overstate their ability. So um, I think that's where these inappropriate school lists come from. So the next question should, comes down to how, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly what you're about to say. How do they create this school list? I think you've got a, I think we've got a very cool approach to doing this that uh, ends up ultimately as we get closer towards the end of this, as we start talking about finding a good fit, this applies to it as well. So how do these, how are these junior golfers supposed to make a great school list and an appropriate school list? We always advise our players and their, and their parents to use a, what we call a top down approach. And there are four different elements to this. And I think if you do this, you're going to make a really good decision. So the number one thing is where are you going to be happy for four years? And that relates more to the size of the school, the location of the school, the demographics of the school. If you can just visualize yourself at a school where you think you're going to be happy taking academics, golf, everything else out of the equation, I think that's the best place to start. And that will help you narrow down your potential list of schools. Then academically would be number two. Is it potentially the right fit for you? What is the rigor of their academic program? Is it going to be too easy, too difficult? Do they have any majors that you're potentially interested in? So that would be number two. Golf would be the third priority. And there are a ton of factors that go into that, from the coach, the facilities, the tournament schedule, how they qualify, the teammates, um, the size of the team, recruits they have coming in, all sorts of different factors. And then the last, the fourth priority would be academic and scholarship aid. Um, if you use that top-down approach, 
you know, number one, where are you going to be happy for four years? Then academics, number two, then golf, third, then aid, fourth. You're going to be in a much better position to to pick a school or a list of schools that might be appropriate for you. What we often see is that top-down approach is flipped, where the junior golfer and their parents are almost always trying to say, okay, where can I get that full ride or 50% aid or whatever? Then where's the golf program the best and academically and so on? It's literally almost flipped, and that is not how you want to do it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's a really good point to make, and I think all too often we see people that they are just trying to research schools, and oftentimes they want to just find okay, where's where's the best golf golf school, uh, and they get on maybe they stumble upon Golfstat, uh, and Golfstat does all the rankings, and again that's a, that can be a good place to start just because you can you can see all the schools, you can see all the divisions where they're ranked, but. Uh, you and I get these lists of schools sometimes and it's got 20 schools and all of a sudden it's just almost just the top 20 programs. And mm-hmm. they also don't realize that those top 20 programs with the type of caliber, the, the caliber of player that they're recruiting, they might already be f- even finished with their recruiting class for that year. And once again, that's part of uh, creating an appropriate list. But I think, I think you're right on the money with that top-down approach. Oftentimes, it's a great point. We almost see it exactly flipped. Yep. And one other point I think that's critically important. Look, when I was in high school, I wanted to play at the Division One level. I grew up in North Carolina. I wanted to go to University of North Carolina. I had an opportunity to go there late, but it already made my decision to go to an SEC school. But then I ended up transferring to a Division Three school and had an unbelievable opportunity. There are some wonderful schools out there um, – whether it's lower division one schools, division two, II, division three, NAIA, there is a place for everybody. If you truly have a passion um, for the game and want to play college golf, just because a school has division three next to its name does not mean it's not as good or better than the division one school. What you want to do is find a place where you're going to be happy, where you can play, where you're going to have a great experience. That's what it's all about. Right on the money. Uh, one good resource for players and parents, uh, especially for doing some research about some schools, finding out more about the program size, uh, the Ping College Golf Guide. Just go ahead and just search that in Google. It should be the first thing that pops up. Really great resource. You are able to filter through uh, different locations, states, size of schools, SAT scores, ACT scores. Really great uh, resource for parents and players. So, Coach. We're going into now our second common recruiting mistake, and this is poor written and verbal communication. Go with that one, Coach. You got it. All right, I'm rolling it. So let's start with written communication. Uh, So written communication, anything written, we're going to call emails, text messages. Obviously, today we see a lot more with even Instagram messages. Maybe it's Twitter direct messages. Um, So when we see poor communication, oftentimes – this comes down to just very poor grammar. And Terrible. we're seeing, the, so th- these mistakes that we saw, we saw these as, as former coaches in college. And um, and I even earlier, I admitted this to, to making this mistake. You, as, you butchered it yourself. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I won't admit to that. Um, and uh, just running into our players, uh, if they've tried to handle themselves before they meet with us, that's where we're coming from when we see these mistakes. 
Absolutely. So if players, players happen to send us a draft of, of the communication they're going to send out to coaches. Uh, you and I have, have replied to those emails sometimes and say, is, it, is this seriously your best work? Is this what you really want to communicate to a coach? And I'm sure that they've typed this thing as fast as they can on their phone or computer, whatever it may be. And they just haven't taken the time to really just look over it and say, okay, what message am I trying to present to this coach? Am I trying to show him that I'm very detail-oriented, or am I trying to show him I'm lazy? That's kind of what it shows. So poor grammar. Uh, oftentimes, we even see things that were, again, they're just being a little, little lazy, and they're even titling it to the wrong coach. Maybe they've typed in the wrong email address for the other school that they're trying to contact next. So they've got an email that's going to a certain coach. They've got it addressed to the wrong coach. Uh, maybe they've been sending out a lot of emails where they've been copying and pasting this certain message. They forget that they personalized one message. And all of a sudden you've got uh, a message that was personalized to a coach going to another different coach. And again, all of these, all of these are just creating an impression when the coach reads them on the player. And you've only got one chance to make a really great first impression. And like you talk about, Coach Barton, you look on your your uh, social media, success is in the details. You always talk about that. That's one thing you preach. And I think this is a great example of how important it is just to take care of those details. Be, be somebody that you want. I mean, when you're reading those emails, when you're reading over it, all it takes, just a couple extra minutes to look over those details, make sure it's cleaned up, make sure it's polished um you, like we said we've only got one chance to make that first impression and and you know this is not like when we were coaching in college it wasn't five percent of the emails that we received or letters that had mistakes we're talking about a third at least where there's something where the grammar was incorrect or the name was transposed or something was weird and if your first impression your best attempt to send me a form of communication where you're trying to sell yourself is not your best effort. What message does that send to me? Do I want you on my team as a coach? Absolutely not. So that correspondence is going to go in the trash can. Seriously. Yeah. I think you talk coach, to coaches many, around the many, country. They all say many, the same thing. How many emails do you think most of these coaches are getting each week from, from players or how many did you get where you were at Duke? It depends on the level of, of program, obviously, but yeah. you know, at Duke, it could be 25 to 50, Every single week. Yeah. That's and a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And like you said, there are so many emails that come in that are very poor. And there are, there are some that are very good. And it makes it very easy if you're trying to differentiate players. And that's kind of what this process is about, is differentiating yourself a little bit. Um, it makes it very easy to create an impression as a coach about this player, who they are. Um, just from looking at that, that email and seeing how well it's crafted and how much time they put into it, how much effort, how much content, which we're, we're going to talk about in a bit, but, uh, it makes it very easy to start separating yourself just right there with, uh, that, that grammar and the poor communication. Yeah. So double check everything, encourage your parents or somebody else to help you to double check it once again. Um, you have one chance to make a first impression and do not screw it up. Make sure it's your best effort when you send it out. All right, let's get into verbal communication because that's also very important. When you're in front of a coach or when you're on the phone talking to a coach, um, eye contact 
body language, tone of voice, all that stuff is super, super important. How you greet a coach, looking them in the eyes, shaking their hand properly, all that stuff sends a message and you need to practice. You need to make sure you're doing it correctly. You need to be engaging and personable. Ask a lot of questions. My father used to always tell me, Brad, when you're meeting somebody new, ask them questions. If you ask questions, they are going to know that you are interested in and they're likely to like you um, back in return way more than if you just sit there and aren't engaging with them. So I think that's super important. Absolutely. And I think we have to remember about we're talking about high schoolers right now, high school boys, high school girls, 15, 16, 17 years old. And I think oftentimes those verbal verbal skills are already a little lacking for that age group, especially when we're talking more on the boys side of things. But I think great point you brought up is it's just you need to practice it. And it's no different than if it's uh, going into a job interview, you're going to be nervous. Uh, your voice might be a little shaky, but at the end of the day, if the more you practice it, the more you are crafting your responses, or if you're looking in yourself in the mirror and watching yourself talk, it's going to make it a heck of a lot easier when you get in front of that coach to actually just have a real conversation with them. And I think this is something that you and I really like working on with our players is going through this and role-playing with them and asking them the questions that these coaches are going to ask them and helping them respond to these questions. It's not like we're putting words in their mouth, but oftentimes we're just helping them show a coach who they really are. And oftentimes that player just struggles communicating who they really are. And uh, it's fun working with them on that role play and, and seeing how a player starts to open up and show a person who they really are just by having a little bit extra practice. Right. Um, so you are selling yourself anytime you are in commu- communication with a coach, you are selling yourself. They are checking you out. And, and two kind of key points that I think you won't hear uh, anywhere else, but we stress all the time. A coach is always looking to have players on his team or her team that are, one, confident, that have great self-belief and have an ability to handle adversity and can adapt to the variability, the nature of the game. So during this recruiting process, when you're communicating, especially when you're in front of a coach, you're talking to them on the phone, they may try to test you out on that. So you have to come across as being confident and having self-belief in yourself. Yes, you're probably going to be nervous, especially the first few times you're in front of a coach, but you have to, they have to feel that confidence and self-belief from you. I've heard numerous stories and seen it myself where a coach, a kid comes in to meet with a coach and they literally are scared to death and a coach is going to be massively turned off by that. So you need to be true to yourself, practice your, your ability to appear confident, uh, in front of a coach. You don't want to be cocky, but they've got to, they've got to feel that self-belief has, has to exude from you. They also may very well test you, your ability to handle adversity. There is a very well-known program, especially on the men's side, that is famous for bringing kids into their program and saying, you know what? I don't think you're good enough to play here. And they're looking for that one out of 15 or one out of 20 kids that says, you know what, coach, you're wrong. I can play here. So that encompasses both self-belief and ability to handle adversity because for a kid in high school, for a coach 
to tell him, you know what, you're not good enough. It's the rare person that can stand up and say, you know what, you're wrong. I can. So you have to handle adversity, be confident, proper tone, body language, et cetera. Uh, you got to practice role play, all these things. Um, cause it's I've got a important. great, I've got a great story. Uh, you made me think of it when I was give going it to me, coach. Three. So, uh, my mom and I, we were out on a visit. Uh, my swing coach at the time was out in Arizona. I used to go out there a few times a year to see him. And, uh, I was out on an unofficial visit at university of Arizona. So we were down in Tucson. Uh, and I was sitting in the coach's office. I was actually meeting with the assistant coach at the time, or for this particular instance, and uh, we were just getting started, and he asked me the question that um, I try to prepare my junior for now, and it's the the very open-ended question of tell me about yourself. And I think as, as a high schooler, that can be a very daunting question because it's so open-ended, and you can go anywhere with it, and you're trying, you're, you're just, you're in the heat of the moment and you're like, you start to freeze almost. You're like, what do I say? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I butchered. I, I still remember trying to fumble through things, talking about, oh, I love golf and all this kind of stuff. But I remember walking out of that, I'm like, man, I wish I, I wish I would have prepared a little bit for that question because it's just, uh, and I'm sure the coach looking back, especially doing what we do now was just those open-ended questions. Tell them a lot. Uh, they can, the player can go kind of any way with it. Uh, but I, I tell you what, I was sure, I was sure nervous fumbling through the answer when he asked me that though. Yep. Good story, coach. All right. Let's transition to poor content. Um, especially when you're sending something to a coach, many times the letters that a coach receives look very, very similar. So hi, my name is Joe Smith. I'm in the class of 2022. I have a 3.5 GPA. I love golf. I'd love to play at your school. I uh, shot 72, 75 in this AJGA, da, 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 da. That's not doing anything for me. If I'm receiving <laughs> the same message from every single kid, that's not what it's all about. Again, you are trying to set yourself apart. You're trying to be unique. You are selling yourself. So make your communication with the coach unique. Um, talk about your character traits, your personality, why you're going to be a great fit for their team, what it is about you that separates yourself. So the, the most impressive things I always received as a coach were like a handwritten note that was just three sentences long. Um, coach, I think you're just showing, I think you're, I think you're just showing your age right there. Cause we didn't have a whole lot of email going on back then. <laughs> <laughs> Very true coach. We did have email. <laughs> But uh, we may have used rotary phones. I'm not uh, okay. <laughs> are, are, are we talking about email or telegraphs? Now we we were into uh, letters and emails. Uh, I mean, this but, is only ten years ago, coach. It's but not even that more long, so, but, though, with with how much things have changed. But Snapchat, hand, we didn't have that, coach. But if we're talking about trying to differentiate ourselves, going back a little bit and a little bit more into a handwritten note, that would stand out a lot right now. I mean, think about it. that stood out a lot to you 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I think for a college coach right now in 2019, I think that would stand out even more. Coach, I'll give you a perfect example. I've been doing this 10 years. Yesterday, I received in the mail from a Division three program a handwritten note from a coach with his brochure saying, hey, Brad, uh, love what you're doing. Know you've got a lot of great players. You know, if you ever see – 
our school is a good fit for some of your players, please reach out to me. I have never, ever in 10 years received a handwritten note from a coach. Now, what kind of an impression did that make to me? He went I showed my wife. I list. said, look at this, babe. This is great. Yeah. And if, so, if you're a parent and you get something like that, I'm like, that's, I'm sure I'm, if I've got a son or daughter and this is somebody that I'd like my son or daughter to play for. Yeah. I'm sure you get that immediate impression. Yeah. So whatever you do, it's got to be unique and sell yourself. You know, what are your character traits? Um, why are you different? Um, one of the best letters I ever received was, was lengthy. Um, that made it stand out. But this kid from Maine literally started the letter saying, you know, I love, I can't wait to get to the golf course every morning. This is how his letter opened up. I can't wait to get to the golf course. I love to see the dew on the ground. I love to hear the birds chirping. I like to be the first person out. I can't wait to hear the sound of that ball going in the cup on the first hole and on and on and on. I mean, that kid was passionate about golf. Do I want somebody like that on my team? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I probably looked at that and probably said, knowing me, hell yes, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Bang. Uh, so these, I think keep in mind as well that these, these coaches have little, I mean, there's just very few opportunities to get to know a player. And the junior golfer needs to make sure that they're doing everything they can on their end for that coach to understand who that player is. And like you said, if they're emailing them, you, all these emails look alike. I'm whoever, 2019, 2018. What's fun? <laughs> and then they, they start doing this, and then they, they don't realize, that, like you said, these emails all look identical. There's no differentiation whatsoever. And they're sending them information that these coaches either already know or can find out just very easily by looking up scores. And... Right. Scores are great. Coaches want to know scores. It's important. They probably already know if you're good enough to play there. They need to know more details about you. I think exactly what you talked about. Character traits, personality, strengths of your game. Maybe some of the areas that, that you're working on right now. Give them details as if they were watching you play or as if they're really trying to get to know you as a person and not just what you shot that day. Right. Uh, awesome. Okay, next we're going to go to the fourth most common recruiting mistake that we see, and that is a failure to maximize scholarship money. And, and before we get into this, let's kind of summarize the different levels of aid at, at, at all level, levels of college golf. Uh, college golf is an equivalency sport, so the aid is divided up at the coach's discretion. So in D1, you can receive athletic aid on the men's side, the equivalent of four and a half scholarships at any one point in time. In Division One women's side, it's six scholarships. So the average men's uh, team size at Division One is about nine players. So roughly on average, if that program is fully funded, each player is going to receive about half of a scholarship in terms of athletic aid. Sometimes it's full ride, although that's ex extremely rare, but it, it can happen. So D1 is four and a half on the men, six on the women. Division two, athletic aid is 3.6 for the men and 5.4 for the women. And division three, they don't offer athletic aid, but they can offer academic aid. In many cases, um, it can be comparable to what you would receive from a division one or two school in terms of athletic aid. So um, that's how it breaks down. You want to talk about that, coach? 
No, that's that's great information. I think the one thing uh, you slipped in there that most people don't realize is that just because the NCAA allows four and a half scholarship on the men's side does not mean that that particular school has four and a half. Um, so if you start doing some math and you maybe you're later on in the recruiting process and you get this offer and it seems a lot lower than what it might be, uh, keep in mind that maybe that coach just doesn't have as much money as you think he does. Um, so I think there, I think that's, it might be a slight misconception is just because there's four and a half or six scholarships on the division one level, uh, that that school actually has four and a half or six scholarships to give. Right. Okay. Um, expectations of players and parents in regards to how much aid you could expect to receive. And we see these mistakes made all the time. Um, you are almost certainly not going to receive a full ride your first year. My oldest son received basically books or 10% scholarship aid his first year by the time he was senior because he played well. The coach wanted to reward players who had performed. He was up to near a full ride. That's much more typical than starting out at a full ride. Um, so if you go into this process expecting to receive 50% or more up to a full ride starting out, you are not going to be making an appropriate list of schools or doing this the right way. Um, you're typically going to start out a lot, lot less than, than half a scholarship. Absolutely. And I think, uh, for my, for my example, I know you brought up your son. Uh, that's perfect. I, I was the exact same way. And, uh, I started off, uh, and I, I was actually a walk on my first year and then, uh, we went up to books and then we had another amount of aid. And then by the time, uh, my last year hit, they were paying for everything, uh, housing, food, everything. So just because you might start off at a certain percentage doesn't mean you're going to end up there. Uh, and, and coaches do uh, a, a really good job in my mind, uh, at least most do, of, of rewarding players while they're there that are contributing in a positive manner. And contributions are, is more than just strictly uh, performance on the golf course. It could be just the, the leadership qualities you have and, and how you're doing it at making your teammates better as well. But uh, that first offer you have from a coach, keep in mind that more often than not, that number is going to be the, the least amount that you would receive an right. aid over and, those and four years. What you need to keep in the back of your mind at all times, think of it from the coach's perspective. The coach's job is to get the best talent for the least amount of money. It's not like football or basketball where everybody's getting a full ride. The coach has to manage these scholarships. So they were always trying to get the best talent for the least amount of money. But when we're talking to people, 95% or more of the people we talk to think that the first offer is the only and best offer. That is not true. You can negotiate with a coach for more money. You should be negotiating with a coach for more money. Now, how you do that is another story. Because you need to be careful when you're doing that. Um, you don't want to the the person that the coach that just offered you a heck of a lot of money. You don't want to rub them the wrong way. And and sometimes I think where we can help as well with what we do is how do these players and how do these parents realize what a good offer is? Uh, and I think that you and I, with with our background, we're able to help these players out a little bit because um, a, a particular. I mean, we, I've even had an example this past year with a 2019. Um, Depending upon where the, I mean, there's so many things that go involved that are involved in it, but just even getting an offer might be a fantastic offer with no no dollars involved at all. So 
understanding the situation, I think, can really help as well because a 10% might be an incredible offer for that first year. You know what, Coach? That's a really good point that we failed to mention earlier. If you are being recruited by any coach, that is an incredible offer. Yeah. The odds, if you're a high school golfer, the odds of you being able to play golf in college are very, very low. It's anywhere from 2 to 5%. 2 to 5% of high school athletes that play golf are playing golf in college. So if you're being recruited at any level, you should feel awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing, parents fail to um, realize that coaches in the U.S. here are not just recruiting kids from the United States. They're looking for kids all over the world now. So it is tough to get a college scholarship. Um, so any offer is a good offer. You should try to negotiate more money, but you should be very careful about how you do that. That's why you need some help. Um, uh, I don't have anything else to add to that. Do you, Coach? That's perfect. I think I think that oftentimes people, they just don't know what they don't know. And they like you said, they might think that that first offer is the is the only offer and the best offer. Uh, and oftentimes, you and I both know it's it's it can be very awkward to talk about finances as well. And um, you've just got to be upfront and honest with these coaches. Obviously, finances are important to everybody, and some families, uh, it's it's more important and has more meaning than some others. Um, but at the end of the day, if if finances are important to you, have that awkward conversation. It's not going to take too long, but it could end up being extremely valuable. And what we like what you said. Maybe maybe that offer was 10%, and you're able to get into a, a big-time junior tournament. You, you make this uh, negotiation with the coach, and you get in, you get another 10%. Well, let's, let's say that 10% at a school over four years, let's say that it's $50,000 a year. 10% of $50,000 over four years just for having that small, awkward conversation. Do you think that's worth it? Yeah, so if it's $50,000 a year, if you can get 10% more per year, that's $5,000 per year times four. That's $20,000 you just saved. Yeah. So uh, we do this stuff all all the time, and it really can make a difference. One other thing, on the Division three level where we see people failing to to maximize their scholarship dollars, people assume if if you're looking at a D3 school, obviously, like we said earlier, they do not give out athletic aid. They do give out academic aid. But many cases – if you're being looked at by a top division three school and you have other schools in the mix, let's say a division three school is costing $45,000 a year and they've come to you and they said with our academic package, you know, it's going to cost you 25 a year. Well, if you have XYZ school, that's also trying to get you to go there and their package is only going to cost you $15,000 a year in our experience in almost every case when you've taken that financial aid package or academic aid package from the other school to the one um, that we previously talked about, they're going to lower the cost of attendance to you. So you should negotiate with a division three school with the academic people. It's not the coach you're doing this with. It's the academic side of the university. You can negotiate that, that cost of um, attendance lower and in many cases a lot lower so um, that's a very very common mistake that we see people failing to uh, use the leverage they have to negotiate a lower cost of attendance at the d3 level coach you're giving too many of our secrets away 
Hey, coach, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> I mean, we're out here to try to help people make better decisions and um, have a better experience. And you know what? That's what it's all about. Yeah, and like like I said, the start uh, of this of this podcast, I butchered every one of these, and why we do what we do is helping these junior golfers have the experience that we did. And playing college golf is a tremendous opportunity, and it can open many doors afterwards. It's a fantastic experience, and yeah. there are many people that could have that fantastic experience, but they just make too many mistakes throughout this process. So that's why we do what we do. We want to help these kids go after their dreams, uh, and it's, uh, it's an opportunity for them to – it's going to change their life. So yeah, that's why we do as, what we do. As a quick aside, and I mean – this is going to be a plug for play golf in college, but I mean, it's just also reality too. If you haven't coached in college, if you don't understand how this recruiting game is actually played and how it works, you have no business advising somebody on how to do it. If you're a PGA pro and God bless them, they're awesome. If they haven't coached in college and gone through this, they have no business advising your junior golfer on how to do it period. Cause they're going to screw it up. We've seen it all the time. So if you've been through it, maybe you're a parent and you played in college and have some experience, great. But if you're really not 100% positive on how best to do this, you need to contact somebody that knows how to do it and how, has done it successfully for, for many, many years. Um, okay, now I'll get off the soapbox. But I, right. I truly believe we're on. We're on to our fifth common mistake that we see. Uh, and this is, as we get later on in the process, comes down to poor decision-making when they're trying to choose their school. Uh, and I think it's good for us to kind of recap that top-down approach that you had talked about earlier, Coach, um, as we get into this. Do you want to go ahead and, and, re, uh, and mention that again? Okay, good idea. So the top-down approach, again, is, number one, where are you going to be happy for four years? Number two, academically, is it right for you? Number three, golf, and there are many factors that go into that. And then four, would be the academic or athletic aid you're going to receive. So that's a list of schools in that order. Um, but in regards to poor decision-making, a couple things that come to mind right away is that during the recruiting process, in many cases, the coach is not showing you what it's really going to be like when you're there at that school. And that's not they're not purposely trying to deceive you, but you're just seeing a very small portion of what they're about and what they're going through um, when they're talking to you in the recruiting process. So you need to make sure that the interactions, the perception, perception that you've taken away from your interaction with the coach during the recruiting process is the same as what it's really going to be like when you're at school. So, so many times we see or hear about examples of, you know what, Coach ABC was awesome in the recruiting process, but oh my God, when we got to school, he was completely different. Well, you know what, if you'd asked a lot of questions, which is what everybody needs to do with other coaches, with players, with parents, um, people in the area, just ask, ask questions. Try to find out as much as you can about that coach and what they're really like when they're at school that will help you make a better decision because you definitely don't want to go to a school where the coach um, is something different from what he or she appeared to be during the recruiting process. 
Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, and remember, these these couple relationships, when we're trying to find the best fit, obviously we went through that top-down approach. There's a lot there. But when we're talking about kind of the golf side of things, the couple things in my mind that are absolutely crucial is the relationship with your coach and the relationship with those teammates. The and amount the teammates of teammates is the is is by far more important. Yes. It's I mean, you are you are with these players constantly you've got 6 a.m workouts together you're probably already rooming with them so you're living with them you're at workouts together you're probably in a lot of the same classes together you eat together what happens after that we've got practice you're with them at practice you might have study tables with them that night you're with them the entire day if this group of guys or gals isn't a group that you're going to get along with you're going to be miserable from day one and you're going to know it probably pretty quickly once you start uh, in the fall. Um, but getting and again, once again, how do we how do we know if it's the right fit? You've got to ask questions. And when you're setting up these visits with coaches, make sure you are asking those players questions about the coach. Make sure you're asking the coach questions about the players. Ask the players questions. Again, I can't say it enough that you just have to continue to ask many, many questions. Uh, and believe me, those those players are are normally very upfront and honest about their opinion of their coach. Um, so that gives you a nice insight into what's going on. Uh, but you've got to ask questions. We can't say that enough. And when you're on these visits, whether it's an unofficial or official, um, and the whole recruiting timeline has changed as of this last summer, so that's you know another podcast in the future probably. But um, you've got to spend time with the players. So when you're on an unofficial visit, Ask the coach beforehand, hey, can I have lunch with several players? Can um, I talk to them after practice? Whatever the case may be, you've got to engage with the players. Like Coach Max said, ask a lot of questions. And then you're very quickly going to be able to figure out, hey, do I fit in with these, with these people, this group of people? Can I, would I be happy here you know, for four years? Um, you're going to know. I mean, it, it doesn't take long to figure it out, but you've got to be around those people in order to figure it out. And those current players can have a huge impact on how hard that coach recruits you as well, or their, the coach's opinion. So if you, let's say you're getting together with them, you're meeting with these players, you have a really good connection with them, the players feel like they're, they're really liking you, you like the players, that coach is 100% going to talk to their players after that visit and say, hey, what did you think of Johnny today? And that coach values his players input a lot. So if you get a response from those players that, Hey, we really like Johnny today. It seems like he'd be a really good fit. I guarantee that recruit went way up on that coach's list just based off of their, his current players, uh, or her players, uh, opinion of that recruit. No question about it. All right. Anything else little, you'd like to add that we didn't cover coach? I think that's it. Again, little, little brief recap of these five things. Inappropriate list of schools. Poor written and verbal communication, poor content that is being sent to these coaches, not maximizing scholarship dollars, and then ultimately making a poor decision. And that's that's why we're here. That's why we help our players. Uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned it earlier, but again, we're we're happy to to have a complimentary consultation with anybody listening. If they need some input on where they're at with the recruiting process, our advice moving forward, we're here. We're here to help. Uh, and like we said earlier. We want these players to go after their dream. Um, it, it's a tremendous opportunity to play golf in college. Awesome. Well said. Okay. 
Now we're going to – I'm going to surprise you on this one, Coach. You don't know this one's got? coming. Let's hear it. So we have a tradition in our podcast that we always like to end them with a really funny story. Okay? And I'm going to go first, and I'm going to steal this one from Coach Brown at Ohio State. So, Coach, if you're listening, I apologize or thanks or whatever. <laughs> but I'm about to tell this story because it's awesome. Then, Coach Mac, I want one from you, all right? All right. Well, hold okay. on a second. What what kind of story are we talking about here? Has to be appropriate, Coach. Funny but appropriate. Are but it could be any. It doesn't have to be funny. It could just be something um, incredibly rewarding, meaningful, whatever. I'm gonna leave it up to you. But while you're thinking about that, I'm gonna go into this story. Okay. Right, so I'm it. talking to Coach Brown once, and he's telling me a story. Um, and Coach Brown is a Hall of Fame coach. Played basketball at Ohio State. Um was the golf coach at Ohio State for many years, won a national championship, just an unbelievably awesome guy, w was always great um, to me, loved my time with Coach Brown at Ohio State. Uh, but he was telling me this story one day. and So you've got a picture. Coach Brown was playing basketball at Ohio State, future Hall of Famer. Bobby Knight, so there, there's a foursome that goes out. So it's Coach Brown, Bobby Knight, the Hall of Fame basketball coach who was – uh, at Ohio State at the time. Ed Sneed won numerous professional events, and Time Weiskopf, Hall of Famer. How about that foursome? Weiskopf, Sneed, Brown, and Bobby Knight. So they're going to play the Scarlet course in Ohio State, and apparently Bobby's not having a very good day, and they get to the eighth hole, which is a par three with a pond on it, and he proceeds to hit a terrible shot that lands in the pond. And as Coach Brown relays this story, Coach Knight, future Coach Knight, takes his bag with a slur of profanities, which you can just imagine, chucks the bag in the pond and storms off. He's leaving the course. So he he walks maybe 200 yards away, and Sneed and Weisskopf, Brown are laughing. All of a sudden they see Bobby Knight turn around and walk back towards him. So they're wondering what's going on. So Coach, Coach Knight <laughs> proceeds to go into the pond to try to find his bag of clubs. And I don't know how deep he's in the pond, but it, I'm imagining it's fairly deep. <laughs> Finds his bag eventually, opens up the pocket, retrieves his car keys, chucks the bag back on in the pond, proceeds to offer a slur of profanities at the guys in his foursome and storms off again. I, when Coach Brown told me that story, I was laughing so hard, I just I couldn't contain myself. That's a good one. That's a good That's one. A I'm not sure. Bobby Knight story. Uh, I don't know if I can compete with that one, especially you put me on the spot right here. Uh, and unfortunately for this podcast, most of the stories that do come to mind initially are not very appropriate uh, for this podcast. Um, for some reason, the, the first, the first thing that came to mind was, uh, when I, the first year I was coaching at Miami, right after I graduated, we were in our conference tournament. Um, this was up, up near Cleveland, uh, at Sandridge. Um, the funny thing is I was actually walking with your son, Jack, oh boy. uh, Jack and I, uh, were hanging out a lot that week, um, holding his hand a little bit, but you know what we did what it, we got to do what you got to do. Uh, we were on, hey, he probably a lot of the latter. 
I don't know about that. He, we had a good week. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I think I can't remember. I think we were on the second hole though, um, and our uh, the player that was with us that was not playing though. So he was like the sixth man who was there, the, yep. the just in case somebody gets hurt. Oh, I know uh, where we're going on this one. This is okay. a good story. I, I'm almost positive this is the second hole, uh, and I'm yep. up on the green. I'm up on the green with Jack, and we're we're reading this putt. I mean, it's it's super quiet, super quiet. And all of a sudden, we hear this incredibly loud noise. And we look over, and it's our, it's our sixth man who's driving the golf cart. And he's making this turn, going from the second green over to the third tee box. And unfortunately, there just happens to be a very large creek and a very high bridge. This bridge is probably uh seven to eight feet above the creek so it's pretty high and um he rounds this corner a little too hot uh while trying to reach for his phone that is sliding across the golf cart and of course you know what happened he went right over the edge of this thing goes down into the creek while jack's potting so i'm trying to help jack and jack's i mean we're, we're not really know what's going on so we're, i'm trying to help him i'm trying not to go crazy and run over there uh, and Jack makes his putt, whatever happens. We go over there and we see, we see our teammate down there in the Creek, kind of freaking out, looking for his phone. And the cart obviously is, is trashed. It's got all that nice, disgusting Coach, black. I was mud right there. I was witnessed it. That is it. The, the cart was on its, was upended. Yes. Yeah. And when it happened, I thought this young man was dead. It was terrible. Now, after the fact, it's incredibly funny, and it I'm was, sure you can tell more was, about that later. But. It was very, it was a very loud noise, and a, and I'm almost positive. Uh, at Miami, we had this tradition, kind of wearing uh, these white pants one of the days, and I'm almost positive this was the day that we had on white pants as well. And and you and I both know that in these ponds or in these creeks, that kind of black mud does not go very well with these Adidas white pants that are basically already see-through to begin with. Nope. Um, so now as was, coach, how did you handle that situation? Uh, once, I mean, once, once I found out the player was all right, I had to get back to work. It was time to, time to stick with my boy Johnny and make sure he was making birdies. Cause we had a championship to win. And ultimately we were fortunate enough to, to win that week. But, um, it was a uh, it was an interesting scenario as it was as it was happening, but like you said, it's it's always a little funnier now looking back on it. But that's right. that's the story so, I've got right what, now. What's the moral to that story? Uh, don't text and drive would be the moral of that one because um, his his phone was he was trying to trying to text on his phone. His phone was sitting on the cart. He was driving at the same time. Came in a little too hot on the corners, uh, and the phone slid away. He tried grabbing it and could have been off. a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. Good story, uh, Coach. All right, that's it for this week's edition of Play Golf and College Podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. And we've got a really exciting show next week where we're going to talk to the lowest score wins guys. Some great information, super valuable for, for anybody out there listening. So, Coach, great job. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Out. Silent. Silent.